all we need is love. That's Paul's message to the people in Corinth. I don't want to say that Paul was the only one who was kind of talking like this, but uh, or about love this way, but he was definitely talking about it in a pretty radical way for his time, um, talking about loving other people and loving each other in a community, in a church community like this. Paul spent 18 months previously in Corinth setting up this little church. Um, We read this story a few weeks ago of how uh, Paul traveled to Corinth and met Priscilla and Aquila. And it's with them and his traveling companions, Timothy and Silas, that they all start this little church there. Corinth was a trade town. It was a port city that had been destroyed by the Roman Empire but then was rebuilt as a Roman colony because it was such a great location. It was right on the water. Um, there was just lots of potential. It was, it was actually, this rebuild was designed by Julius Caesar uh, just before his death. Yes, that Julius Caesar. Because of the nature of the business that was done in Corinth, it was a highly stratified community, which means that um, everyone had their rank. Because it was a colony, there were a number of people who were there working on behalf of someone else back in Rome, working in this new place to try to make a name for themselves and to make wealth for themselves. It's not exactly like the ideal that we have of the American dream where you work hard and anything's possible. Um, It was a place where you not only wanted to move up in the world for for what it could do for you, but also because you needed to move up in order to make things possible for the people that you were working for, for those trade deals, those business partnerships. So these people were constantly trying to buy for a, a better position in society. But even here in Corinth, new wealth and position could only get you so far. Out in Corinthian culture, outside of this little church, you were pegged in a certain status. And so you could only move up in within your own category. From what we can best tell, the people in the Church of Corinth were a mixture from all the different tiers of society, maybe excluding the very top tier. And in this new community, some saw this as an opportunity to keep climbing. Um, It was a new system that did not seem to have the same limits that the larger Corinthian culture had. Not only did they expect respect and position because of the places they held in society outside of the church, but they were also trying to carve out a better position for themselves within the church. To exert, uh, they wanted to exert an amount of control that they couldn't exert in the larger world. I think there's some real obvious parallels uh, to our world today. We have Christians who come from a good long line of people who work hard, have been active in their churches, and suddenly they don't hold the same place they did in society anymore um, just because of the color of their skin or, or because they are being active in their local church. They can't allow their biases and opinions based on their understanding of scripture to guide their decision to discriminate, or they no longer find themselves in the positions of power in the community being catered to because of their beliefs. And so they try to exert power in other ways. We see people 
wealthy and powerful people who are using the name of Christianity as a a trigger point to try to gain more power and wealth. And so they use a rhetoric that makes other people feel like victims. And because they want to be on the winning team, um, suddenly we've made Christianity about power, control, getting ahead and enforcing our beliefs on everyone else. All we need is love, Paul says. Love is the key response for what is church? That question we're trying to answer. Church is the place where love reigns. Church is a hub of a group of people that live so differently from the rest of the world, loving each other generously, not vying for power and comfort, and taking this way of of doing things out into the world in such a way that it causes others to pay attention. That's, That's what the church should be. Paul uses the form of rhetoric or or arguing and debating that would have been really common to his hearers. So he says all of the things that, that love is not. It is not envious. It does not boast. It does not seem to do good things for others just for the opportunity to feel superior or look like a martyr. It does not do good things no matter how good or generous they are to feel like they're checking off boxes Um, needed to be considered to be a good person. They don't have judgment goggles on questioning others' intentions, looking down on others that aren't like them. So what is this kind of love that we're being called to, and what does it look like? On Wednesday night, we coincidentally were also talking about love. Um, When Nathaniel asked the question, about what things we loved. We had a lot of things, technology, sugar, naps. That was my personal contribution. And when he asked us to give the difference between loving things like this and loving people, it was really harder to describe. We know that when we say we love pizza or ice cream, uh, which it is National Ice Cream Day, by the way, we don't really mean the same kind of love as the love we're supposed to have for others. But it's easier to say what love is not than to say what love is. I've been asked to read this passage of scripture at a number of weddings and give some thoughts on it. My favorite gift (laughs) to a couple is to rewrite these words um, for that specific couple, putting in pieces of their personalities, their hobbies, their known vices, and, and alternately the gifts that they bring for each other. This is not a passage that was just written for a married couple. This was a passage written for the church. We know that we're supposed to love a spouse or family, But we don't know often what love looks like in our church and out in the real world. And so I want to help us today by writing what I believe love looks like in our world today using these same descriptors that are given by Paul. Love is patient, even in traffic, even in long lines, even when everything feels like it has slowed down in our COVID world today. Love gives multiple chances, with guidance, but with grace. Love is kind to the clerks at the store, to the person who refuses to wear a mask, rather than yelling at them like I want to do. (laughs) 
It is kind when you don't want to wear a mask, but you do anyway, because someone who's probably paid minimum wage or is a shopper who is vulnerable asks you to. Love is not irritable or arrogant or demand its own way, even when you think or, or even know that your way is the best. Love gives grace to people. And like Brene Brown suggests, leads with the belief that people are doing the very best that they can with what they have at all times. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It does not keep up systems of power set up that harm others, that have kept others from having the opportunities that we have had. Love is willing to do the hard work of unlearning what we have always been taught It does the hard work of relearning our world. It's willing to be humble enough to say, I don't understand everything. It's willing to say that some of the things I have understood as truth may have just been a truth that's been constructed to give a certain group of people power. And while I have worked really hard with what I have, while I have been mistreated in this system, I have also benefited from this system in ways that others have not in ways that specifically people on the margins have not, in ways that people of color, especially black people, people who are poor, Native Americans, immigrants, LGBTQ people, people who are differently abled have been limited and controlled. Love says, I am willing to learn. I do not have all the answers and I am willing to do the hard work of shaking up and breaking down the world as I have understood it. And I will do that with humility, not labeling myself as an ally or seeking validation, but doing it from a place of wanting to love others better, to understand the worlds in which they live. Now, love never ends. It keeps it going. It keeps going because we have a church that loves us, a God that loves us abundantly and unending. It never ends because we allow ourselves to be humble enough to be loved by others and by God. When I asked Richard from With Love From Jesus in our interview at at another point, one of the really screechy points that I couldn't show you, what would he want us to know about our community, especially the parts of our community that maybe some of us don't often see? Um, What would he want us to remember? And he said he would want us to remember that we are all in need. Some needs are more tangible, more out in the open to see, especially right now as the income divide is growing. Some need food, housing, furniture, and clothing. But he said, we cannot think, we cannot convince ourselves that we are not also in need, that people that we meet are not in need, no matter how hidden their needs are. I came across this story this week uh, by Sean Dietrich, um, who has uh, a podcast and a, a daily blog, and it's called Payday. Here's the story. He's a normal guy, a normal guy who cashed his entire paycheck last month for charity. Not for me, but for, you know, charity giving back. He did it because he was ahead of his bills for once. At first, he was going to put the money into savings, but something made him do otherwise. Call it a gut feeling. He's a part-time truck driver and a night shift security guard. 
He's a dad with two daughters. He sees them mostly on weekends. The first person he gave money to was a woman at his daughter's daycare. The woman's car had duct tape covering her passage window, passenger window. Here, he said, someone told me to give you this. A hundred big ones. The lady, lady almost lost it. He didn't expect the reaction, which was unrestrained hugging. His next victim was an old man in a supermarket parking lot. The man was placing flyers beneath windshield wipers. Our hero dug into his pocket. The old man only looked at the money with big eyes. Are you with the company who hired me? He asked. Yeah, he answered. Here, the boss told me to give this to you. The farmer's market downtown, he wandered the booth of honey jars and fresh breads with his daughters. A teenage boy and girl were playing guitars. They had CDs for sale. They had young voices and real talent, but nobody was buying. People only walked by them. He dropped a tip in their bucket. Then he bought their whole box of CDs. The teenagers were so overcome that they forgot how to hold their guitars. And for the next few weeks, he searched for people to give money and CDs to. He tipped waitresses too much. He tossed money at men holding cardboard signs. He even tipped his mailman. Then it happened. He was at a uniform supply outlet. He was on the job making a delivery. The woman was hard to miss. She had kids with her. She was buying scrubs. Her money was on the counter for the world to see. The cashier watched the woman count quarters. He took his cue. He threw his money down. Here, someone told me to give this to you, he told the woman. She almost fainted. She thanked him. She offered to pay him back. He declined. She explained that she'd been hired at a veterinary clinic. It would be the highest paying job she'd ever had. But new employees were expected to supply their own uniforms, and she couldn't afford hers. Something inside him was moved. He gave her all that was in his pocket, every last buck and penny. And here's where it gets good. The store owner came from the back when he heard what was happening. He got in on the giving frenzy. The owner gave the woman her money back, along with several pairs of scrubs and nursing shoes. The woman was too choked up to speak, so her daughter spoke up. This is a miracle, the daughter said. You made a real miracle for my mom. Well, you should know that these folks are not miracle workers. They're regular Joes with nine to five jobs, mortgages and power bills. They're people doing the best they can. It was just one paycheck, Todd says, but I'm telling you, it felt like more. I felt like I was actually making a difference in this world. You were making more than a difference, Todd. You were changing the entire world. By the way, here, someone told me to write this about you. We can have all the faith in the world. We can have hope. But the greatest of these things we can have is love. Will you pray with me? God, thank you that we can be at peace And grounded in the fact that you love us more than we can ever imagine. And help us to be a people that in our conflicted world do the hard work of love. 
the hard work of unlearning, learning new ways, fighting for justice, but also just being kind, (laughs) doing the small things for our families, for friends, for the strangers we meet. Help us to, to be the church, to know how to love one another well. And from that love, let it outpour into our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, our final reflection questions for you to keep pondering are, when have you known deep down that you were loved? And this week, how can you show others that kind of deep down love as you go about your day-to-day life? As we close our worship time together, I'd like to offer our benediction as soon as I find it. And now, may you go in peace, feeling the presence of your brothers and sisters in Christ, even as we are separated. In these extra